help us remind us where we're at. So right now, you guys have all lived through 15 weeks of this. This is week 15 of the book of Revelation. Uh, it's only, I'm not going to tell you how many more. You, you just, there's more to come. But it's moving faster now. <laughs> That's the nice thing. It's moving faster now. Um, so first we see John records his vision. And he records this vision. He hears his trumpet sound and he turns and he sees Jesus. And Jesus is standing there on the island of Patmos. And it's his old friend. It's, it's not somebody he doesn't recognize. It's somebody who he spent three years of his life forming himself around Jesus. Is somebody who he recognizes. So first he sees Jesus. And then he, Jesus has these messages for the seven churches. And these messages are, are really to encourage the church to walk through this suffering or to rebuke the church and tell the church, get back to the main thing. You've, you've forgotten the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. The main thing is not your your parties, your potlucks, your whatever, it's Jesus and discipleship. Get back to the main thing. And then one of the things we see, the central vision, and if you get this, you'll get the entire book, and we see the central vision in chapters 4 and 5 of God in heaven, and he's holding on to a scroll, and that scroll is of the utmost importance. One of the angels says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And nobody, they were sealed up seven times, nobody was found worthy, so John wept. But wait, there's one more thing, and that was a lamb who was worthy to open the scroll, a lamb who looked like it had been slain. That lamb we know is Jesus, is a representation of Jesus, and he is worthy to open the scroll. And so as the scroll is being opened, we see all this conflict and, and divisiveness and things like this happening between the kingdom of this world and between the kingdom of the lamb. And, and how do we understand this type of thing to happen. One of the things that I want us to remember about this scroll that's so key and so important, we're going to begin to see more of it today, is that the scroll represents this idea of the brand new creation, where in the, this, um, the epistles, uh, the, the apostle John, uh, the apostle Paul, they all talk about this new creation that we're called to be that we're new creatures in Christ. When you say yes to Jesus, you begin to follow him and become this brand new person. And the end of Revelation will culminate, will open with a brand new creation when heaven meets earth. And it'll be this beautiful culminating event. But the idea is sort of like this. And, and I'm going to try and picture it with you with my hands because I'm Italian and that's how Italians do things, right? Um, so... Essentially, we've got this old world, this old creation that was born on, on the day that, that God created humanity. Then on the day, on the seven days of creation, whether that was 7,000 years, 7 billion years or whatever, I don't want to get stuck in that debate, but on the day that creation was created and, and God built humanity into that and humanity eventually sinned and that old creation which once was a new creation, but that old creation began to crumble. And it, the, the crumbling culminated in the death of Jesus. And there's, so there's all these theologians, many theologians who say, simply when Jesus died, that old creation is, it just signed its death warrant. And when he rose again, that new spark, that mustard seed of the kingdom that would eventually grow and become a giant plant. That new spark, the first day of creation, the new creation was formed. 
on the resurrection of Jesus. And so there's this growing new creation budding with the church. And there's this crumbling old creation. And one of the things that we see after the throne room, after the scroll, is that these two begin to clash. And we see that in the seven trumpets. We see that in, in uh, this opening of the seven seals. The values of the old world, the values of the new world do not align and they begin to clash. People in Babylon looking for power. Remember, Babylon is the representation of Rome here. They cling for power. And, and so one of the things that's strong on God's heart all the way through, and we saw this in chapter 9, is that God loves people. And he'll go after them to get them to repent. And so we saw these terrible plagues that were like scary and weird and we didn't know what they meant. But essentially they were just reminders back to Exodus. And the whole idea of the Exodus, of the plagues of Exodus, was to get Pharaoh to repent. It was the whole idea. And then in chapter 9, there's all these weird creatures and the abyss opens up and it was the gates of hell. And, ah, it was nasty. But the whole point of that chapter was that no one repented at that. Nobody. Nobody repented. And the point here is that God desperately wants to bring people to himself. Okay? God desperately wants people to repent. And that way didn't work. It's the values of Babylon versus the land. People get stuck in Babylon. So in the following, in the chapters we've been looking at, there was all kinds of judgments and things, and they just weren't effective. People preferred the hellishness of the abyss, the hellishness of the Babylon, the hellishness of aligning themselves with Rome. They preferred that. And I think one of the chief messages of Revelation is whatever world you tie yourself to, whether it's the new creation of God or that old, crumbling, sinful creation that's been corrupted by sin, whatever you tie yourself to, that will be your fate too. And I think Revelation is trying to show us that. Pick your kingdom and your outcome is tied to it. So flip with me to Ezekiel chapter 2. Before we get into Revelation 10 this morning, we're going to read a little chunk of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, if, if you've never read Ezekiel, Ezekiel is written in many places in, his, in the book of Ezekiel. It's written in the exact same way as Revelation. And that it is um, the same genres. Some of them are the same genres. And so there's all these weird imagery. And it's almost like the revelation of the Old Testament. There's like weird imagery. And if, if you didn't really understand how to read it, you would say, what's going on here? Like, this, it's kind of weird. But, so flip with me to chapter 2. I'm going to chew off a nice big chunk. We're going to read Ezekiel 2, verses 3 through 15. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came to me and raised me to my feet. I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people. They will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid through the barriers and thorns are about, 
um, I'm sorry, do not be afraid, though barriers and thorns are around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of them or say that they're terrified of them. They are rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Do you guys get that they're rebellious and they don't listen? (laughs) I mean, he says over and over and over again. But you, son of man, listen. So they don't listen, but you have to listen. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. Do not rebel like a rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. It w- in it was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. On both sides were written words of lament and mourning and woe. By the way, Revelation chapter 5, there's a little note that says it's a scroll with words written on both sides. Chapter 3. And he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then we're going to speak to the, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate and it tasted sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, son of man, Go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but a people of Israel. Not, I'm sorry, not to many people of obscure speech and strange language. Those words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as an unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest of stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are rebellious people. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your people in exile. Speak to them. Say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says whether they fail, listen or fail to listen. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound as the glory of the Lord rose from his place where it was standing. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other and the sound of the wheel beside them, a loud rumbling sound, and the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord on me. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kibar River and there where they were living. I sat among them for seven days, deeply distressed. So what's going on here? What is this all about? Ezekiel was sent to the Old Testament people of God, the people who were in exile, the people who were, as this text points out many, many, many times, were rebellious and failed to listen to God. There's so many wild things in the book of Ezekiel. If you were to read the book of Ezekiel, you would think like, what is going on with this? Ezekiel is told basically to make a clay model of the city and then destroy it. He was called to make bread, which is actually sold in stores today, and it's quite good, Ezekiel bread. Anyways, my kids love it on, with toast, a little bit of butter. Um, make bread and then lay on your side for 390 days and eat it. He was told um, to make bread with the fire of human waste, but he, he said, I don't want to do that, Lord, and so he allowed him to use cow manure or horse manure. 
He had to burn his own hair. I mean, the stories go on and on and on about Ezekiel. The guy was just crazy. Like, he was a crazy prophet. What was he doing? See, God had him eat this scroll. So I want everybody to tear pages out of your Bible real quick. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Um, God had him eat this scroll because God didn't, words weren't working. I mean, God was saying, listen, my people are not listening to me. And don't you feel that that's kind of how we're at in our culture right now? They just don't listen. They don't care. They're rebellious and they like it. I mean, isn't that where we're at? So he says, eat the scroll. And, 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 and yeah, go speak the words, but you're going to become the message. You're not necessarily going to speak the message, although you'll speak words of truth. But I'm going to have you do things that remind my people of how rebellious they are. And as you lay on this, in the city for 390 days, just laying there on your side, every time they pass you, they're going to remember. Every time they see your shaven head with a sword, they're going to remember. Every time they smell your burnt hair, they're going to remember. Every time they see you break, baking bread with dung, they're going to remember. Go be the message. So that's what God had Ezekiel do. God had other prophets do the same thing. So there's he had Hosea go and marry a prostitute as a reminder to the people of Israel that they were unfaithful to him. Because he wanted his prophets, his people, to be the message. That's the whole point. You have to be the message, and every time you walk past, every time you smell it, every time you're around them, every time somebody goes, oh, so you see Ezekiel again? I mean, you get it. You get what you've done wrong. You get what God is trying to tell you. Now, remember where we are in the book of Revelation. Chapter 9, all these crazy things happened, wild things. It was nuts. I mean, locusts came out, and they were devouring people, and, and it was like a third of the earth was destroyed, and there was, there was the water turned to blood. And it was all kinds of crazy talk. In the very end of chapter 9, the question is, but they didn't repent. No one's repented yet. And so how will people come to repent? So flip with me to Revelation chapter 10, and we're going to get into this. And um, I, I made a little motion to Nico earlier. I was like, oh, it's getting hot in here. And then now I'm like, oh, I need a jacket. So is anybody else with me there? Or, is, or anyways, we, we need to figure out temperature in this room or something. Uh, I know somebody will take care of that, right? All right, somebody, you're in charge. Revelation 10, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders has said and do not write it down. We're going to pause there for a moment. So again, John, we see this over and over and over in the book of Revelation. John is taking his knowledge of the Old Testament. And you have to remember, John is on exile. He's in trouble. He's a prisoner. He's on the island of Patmos, and he's got to get this letter through his censors who don't know the Old Testament. So what's the best way to speak to 
people who know another language is to write in that language. They know that the church knows the language of the Old Testament. That's their scripture at the time. They didn't have the New Testament. They may have had some letters that were floating around, but that wasn't canonized scripture yet. They had the Old Testament text. They had Isaiah, Ezekiel. um, They had the Torah. They had the first five books. They got that. And so what John is doing to write to them to get past the censors is he's writing in all this Old Testament text, and he's just scribbling it down. Old Testament text after Old Testament text. We we see the rainbow as a reminder of Noah and the the promise of God. His legs were fiery pillars, a reminder of the fiery pillar that guided God's people out of Egypt. He was holding a little scroll. And so this is important because remember how I told you the key to the entire book of Revelation is the scroll that was being held by God and a scroll that holds the purposes of all humanity, the new creation. He was holding a little scroll. And we know because of the Greek of the words, we know that this is like, as if John was like saying he, he just took a photocopy machine and, and copied it and made it smaller, like it's a small scroll. There's the big scroll which God holds and this is the small scroll. This is, um, it, I don't believe that there's any major difference between the two, but it's not the same one is the point. God still holds the main thing, but he's willing to give out the plan. So this is important. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I said that. And then he says there's seven thunders. And then in, the, in like a strange bit of the text, these seven thunders happen. John is about to write it down, and God's like, no, 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 don't, don't write that down. And they move on. And, and I was wondering, why on earth would they say, don't write this down? And so I just want to dwell on this point for half a second. And this is one of the things where John didn't write it down, so we don't really know what, what he meant. But if you were to follow the Old Testament carefully, you, we could sort of figure out what he means by this. We could uh, make sense of this. And again, this is one of those things, take it or leave it, because John didn't write it down, and we don't know. But on the other hand, we have really good evidence for it, so you do well to take it. Anyways, um, Psalm 29, the psalm I asked Gabby to lead with this morning. It'll be up on the screen. Psalm 29, verses 3 through 9. There's seven voices of God that are read in in Psalm 29. It says this, starts, The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the glory of God thunders. And then there's these seven things as the voice. So first is the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks down the cedars. And they jump down to verse 7. The voice of the Lord strikes. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. Um, The voice of the Lord twists the oaks. It is thunderous. And so he could be referring to this psalm. And I, and I think this is the reason why I even spent time on this this, mor- uh, this morning for, for this is because, you know, why would he put this down and then n- not say anything about it? And I almost wonder if it's this. So there's seven seals trying to bring people to repentance, and there's seven trumpets, and, and the whole point is to bring, God's, to bring people to repentance, people who are not God's people, people who are part of the old way of doing things, the old kingdom, to bring them to repentance. And I almost wonder, in, in this, like I said, this is the part, take it or leave it, because theologians debate this, and uh, there's a few theologians who are saying what I'm about to say right now. And I almost wonder if it's like God's people didn't listen to all of that, they're surely not going to listen to his voice. Kind of like Ezekiel's situation. 
And so Ezekiel was dealing with the people who knew God's word. He was dealing with the people who had walked through it, who had understood God's plan, and, and they had ancestors who, who escaped from Egypt, and, and yet they didn't listen to his voice. It said over and over and over again, they didn't listen to his voice. And so if the seven thunders are the, is the voice of God, I think it's like, hey, we've tried all this stuff, and they're not going to listen to just the preaching. They're not going to listen. So what do we, where do we go next? The seven seals didn't work to bring about repentance. The seven trumpets didn't work. And so maybe they won't listen to God's voice either. Let's keep going. And this is the main point. Revelation 10, verses 5 through 1. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that are in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it. There will be no more delay, but in the days of the seventh angel is about to sound the trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he has announced to his servant the prophets. Then the voice I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, Go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing at the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. I will, it will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about my many people's. Nations, languages, and kings. Do you get that? I mean, this is Ezekiel, right? I mean, this is what John is doing. He's, he's, he's borrowing from the pages of Ezekiel to remind the church about the message of God. The church would have gotten this instantly. This isn't about eating books. Books were pretty rare and expensive back then. That would have been an expensive proposition, this isn't about tearing out pages like, oh, what are you doing for breakfast today? Oh, Revelation 5. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not about that. It's about making it a part of you. They won't listen to the voice of the Lord, but they'll listen to a people who are formed so deeply, and their character is that of the book. So eat the book. Because when you eat it, it becomes a part of you. When you eat food, the cells and the things like that, they just become a part of you. So eat the book. The church isn't just called to preach the message of God. There are many of us who are probably gifted at preaching. Many of you here could probably preach the word of God all day long, but what happens when you see somebody who needs help? Do you walk over there and help them out? Well, 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 you know, the church might be gifted at at memory verses and just saying it over and over and over and over again, and that's great. But what happens when we see abuse? When we see a foster system with 40,000 kids in it? What happens when we see the injustices of the world? Are we formed by those memory verses? Can we just say them or do we become them? And that's the point of this text. Billy Graham, later, a little bit later in life, was, was a little bit critical of his own ministry. And, and, and as you know, Billy Graham, 
you know, crusades, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people came to know the Lord, and, and they said the prayer, and, and they tried to get connected. He tried and tried to get them connected to churches, but people wouldn't get connected to churches. He has this quote, and, and this quote is, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything that we have. And so Graham knew in his ministry that people were coming and they were, they were getting saved and salvation is free, but they weren't doing the hard work of being formed into the character of Jesus. Because that's what we're called to. That's what it means to be a new creation, is that your character is formed that way. Every night I pray with my daughters and, and Jacob, I, I pray with my kids, Father, I pray that you would help make Emma, Lucy, Jacob, the type of people that make others happy, you've made this world and put them in it. They don't get the richness and the deepness of what I'm saying just yet. But in other words, I want them to be a people so formed by Jesus that their character preaches the message of God just as much as their mouth. That's what I want for them. So what we need then is discipleship. That's what we need in the church. And Graham got that. He, he understood that many people were coming to his rallies and, and following Jesus and raising their hands and, and saying the prayer, but walking away forever. And he didn't, he didn't get that. I mean, Jesus commanded us to do a lot. He commanded us to love, to forgive, things like that. But the only real command that he gave the church is to make disciples. Matthew 28. Make disciples who act like him, who take on the character of God. So that's what this last section, this chapter 10 is all about. Because the question now is how are people going to repent and it's probably not through the voice of God. It's not through the rumbling, the, the thunders. It's not through the, it's not through the, um, uh, the trumpet blasts. It's not through all the judgments and stuff like that. But it's going to be by a people who embody the message, a people who live the message. That's how it's going to form. And next week, uh, there's still more to say. So let me just do a quick plug for next week. Oh, the hardest chapter in all the book of Revelation, the two witnesses. It's like, how do we interpret all that? But next week, you're going to see this, that people actually do. It's so cool that people actually do come to know Jesus because of a people that are formed like the Lamb. Let's get back to this message, not next week's message. I'm excited to preach that one too. The last 40 or 50 years of church history... There's been such an emphasis on saying the sinner's prayer and getting people into heaven. But also, I'll have to note, church attendance was way better back then. <laughs> it was. It was a church, and Pastor Roland, I talk about this all the time. The church was the center of the community. I mean, it's kind of be nice, Swanson's, if you live at church, right? Um, like, your, your attendance is great. Good job. <laughs> but when, you know, everything formed, everything in the community happened around church. That's just what happened in the community. Now, there's so many other things that happen. We have to be way more intentional with disciple-making, with making people who, who, and developing people into that transformative nature. But there was such an emphasis. Uh, emphasis. I remember even growing up and, and going to the church, I remember saying, well, when did they say the prayer? And, and I even have it on my Bible when I said it. 
because it was, for some reason to them, it was really important, so I wrote it down. And I guess the date's not as important to me anymore. Um, it's more that what really happened is when that flip switched and I said, oh, I need to be like Jesus. I can't just know about Jesus. I need to be like Jesus. And there's, I, I want you to hear me. There's nothing wrong with saying the sinner's prayer. That, that's a great entryway into following Jesus. And the sinner's prayer, if you're wondering, like, what is that? It, it goes something like, Father, I, I accept what you did for me on the cross. Forgive me for what I've done. Lord, I place my life in your hands. It, it's that surrendering to Jesus. And there's like a thousand of them written on the internet. But those are, I think, good, important things, good, important starting points. But the problem was we were so, especially in the 80s and 90s, the church growth movement, we were so focused on that. We were like, great, stamp off another salvation. And what happens now is that the church in America is in decline. Why? Because we are focused on a little prayer, not bringing people to the likeness and fullness of their lives in Christ and to holiness this is what holiness means. It's not that you don't wear makeup or jewelry or something like that. It's that you desire to be like Jesus. That you throw off all other things that hinder you. That you don't want to sin anymore. That you want to be with him. Not necessarily that you're sinless, but so that you could be like Jesus. That's what holiness is. So really the question for Revelation right now is, how will God bring the world to salvation? And the answer is through a people who eat the book. Through a people who are so formed by the pages on this book. Through people that are so formed by the God who revealed it. That other people will come to salvation. So how will people repent? Eat the book. Eat this book. The answer um, is not necessarily compelling and fun. It's a slow process. I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible, and, and I'm even now discovering things that I, I had never discovered before. Because I've got this daily regimen of just going through it. And it gets tough. There's some weeks that are so exciting. It's like the, I, I, go, I blow through my reading and I want to read more. And there's some weeks where I'm like, all right, I read that line. Okay, I read that line again. Uh, man, I, I, okay, I read that line again. There's some weeks that are just so tough. But eat this book. I wish that I could give you a sermon with like four S words or four T words or four P words or something like that, and your entire life could be changed. That it could just happen through sermons. That would be easy, right? Once a week you can come to church and you're like, oh man, Pastor Dave gave me a Pray, provide, uh, provision, uh, and uh, my life's better. Everything's different. No. That's, I mean, that, that, yes, that's helpful. But will that transform your soul? No. You've got to get into the book. That's why we pass them out. Because if you don't have one, we want you to have one. And if you have a friend that needs one, we want you to take one and give it to them. And if you're not reading it, we want you to start reading it. Because we think it's transformative and it's accessible and it's for you. It's for us. We believe deeply here that the church is God's plan for the world. And when I got that, just a switch flipped in my head. Jesus was God's plan to bring about salvation. 
to bring about life into him. And then there's this little pesky verse that I, I and I, I keep shoving it down your throat, so I'm going to keep doing it. In Romans chapter 8, it says, For all creation groans in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Who are the children of God? Us, the church. And it says, All of the world, all creation groans for us to look like Jesus. Not for us to just throw out a memory verse. Not for us to just throw something out there, but for us to actually look like forgiveness when, when tough times happen. For us to, to, to model grace in our lives and our relationships. For us to model love, for us to model all of this stuff. That's why Ezekiel had to go lay out in the middle of town because God made him the message to eat this book. And it You know, it's interesting that in the text it says that it'll be sweet in your mouth, but it'll be bitter in your stomach. Actually, the the text really what it's trying to say is it'll make your stomach turn. You're like, wait wait a second. (laughs) Why would I want to eat that? Why would I want to eat that? It'll be sweet in your mouth. Can you just picture Jesus saying, come to me, all you are burdened, all who are you, you're heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, what a sweet message. And it's bitter in your stomach. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your er- earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Ouch. Yeah, that's going in. That's good. Forgiveness. I- I'm in for that. Uh, rest? I got three kids. Sign me up for rest. But put to death your old self? That's bitter. That hurts. It's so sweet in your mouth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall ever have ah. See, I've said it so much, it just gets tangled up. And it's bitter. Whoever wants to follow me has to daily take up their cross their instrument of death, and follow me. It's sweet because we, we get Jesus and, and we get the fullness of who he is, the forgiveness, the miracles, everything. We get Jesus. We get the spirit. We get the comforter. By the way, I, just, I heard a small preaching point. I don't remember who I heard it from, but, oh yeah, a, a friend of mine who's a pastor this week, he said, some of you are not experiencing the comforter. Is that true? And people are like, yeah, I guess. And I was thinking, yeah, I guess that's true. He goes, well, you're not uncomfortable enough. So Moses, you're going to be experiencing the comforter real soon because you'll be uncomfortable. It's sweet because you get Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit, you get the comforter, but it's bitter because then we're called to live out our community, our relationship to God in community, and we also get the church, and sometimes that's rough because we all come with stuff, right? We all come with our brokenness in view, we all come with, with our baggage just piled over and, and hanging out, and how do we deal with this? It's beautiful and horrible at the same time. It's sweet in our mouths, but bitter in our stomachs. It's sweet in our mouths because sometimes we uh, get to attain or, or receive, I'm sorry, that's a better word, salvation. And we see some of our friends who live in open rebellion to that, and then they die. 
is sweet and it's bitter. I, I love this quote. There's this theologian named Joseph Magnola that writes this. And I'm going to go slow because it's so important. John's taking of the little scroll is Eucharistic. It's what we'll do today. It's taking communion. Not in the direct sense that the scenes depict the celebration of the sacrament, but in the sense that he is being commanded to ingest the word of God, to let it enter him as to become a part of his own being. There will be no more time, says the angel, yet far from causing the church to hunker down into a sectarian enclave, waiting for the end, the gift of the gospel sends the church outward into the world of peoples, nations, languages, and kings. The mighty angel crying with a loud voice is a type of Christ's prophetic office. And John's eating of the scroll, a sign of the church's mission, bearing witness to the gospel, both in its life and in its speech. And the angel stands astride, land and sea. So the gospel is truly a message without borders. If you're wondering why the angel is standing on land and sea, it means the message goes global. And I love this quote because it reminds us that we have to be the message. And then at the very end of the Revelation 10, it, it does, it says to people of all nations, languages, and creeds, and all this stuff, that we're not to hunker down in sectarian enclave, that we, we're not to just take the word of God and be like, okay, let's have a Bible study, but don't let anybody know about it. They might come, you know, or, or don't share it with anybody. It, it's not meant to be hidden. Although the psalmist does say, hide the word of God in your heart. That means let it be a part of you and get out into the world and share it and be it just in word, but also in your body and how you live it out. So today, I have two responses for us today. One, and I've been saying it all throughout this message, eat this book, okay? Goes well with syrup, all right? Like in coffee, breakfast, okay? It goes well with breakfast, I'll tell you that. So even if it's just a little section of scripture you read every day, and Lord, help me to be more like you, eat this book. It's what the world desperately needs, but no one is asking for. Eat this book. Start on the long, arduous task of centering your lives around the Lamb. And two, I want to invite the band to come up today, right at at this moment, because we're going to take communion. And this is a reminder that today, this is a reminder that we become the message that Jesus has handed this to us and said, all right, now eat it. You become the message now. You go speak to every language and nation and tribe. You are the message. Let it become a part of you. And you know what they say, and I think it's true. You are what you eat. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we think about communion, as we think about the message to John. We think about your word and your scripture. Lord, I pray that you would help us to become that. Lord, as we take communion today, as we take your body and and the representation of your blood, as we take that and ingest, God, let it be a part of our being, of who we are. 
Lord, help us to look more and more like you, not just have the words that you want us to say, but to have the actions to back it up. For God, that's what truly wins the world to you. So God, help us to remember as we eat this meal that we also need to eat this book. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to invite the ushers to come forward and at any point.